They are excited. Hopefully I have the same excitement for the sermon. <laughs> for the book of Leviticus. All right. Uh, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Leviticus 16. All right, we're working through the big story of the Bible and seeing even how on some of these ancient, strange, otherworldly uh, details, they are in some way pointing to Jesus and calling us to participate in the mission that God is up to in the world, renewing and restoring all things uh, to Jesus. And so today we're going to look at the Day of Atonement, or you could call it the Day to Draw Near. And uh, this was one of the most important days in, in Israel's calendar every year, uh, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. So let's, let's read God's Word, and we'll meditate on this together. I'm going to read through the whole chapter. This is the word of our God. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may, may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. And he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small. And he shall it, bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so, so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall do, do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleannesses. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place 
until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood with it on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleannesses of the people of Israel. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. He shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to remote area, and you shall let the goat free in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting, and he shall take off the linen garments that he put it on when he went into the holy place, and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place, and put on his garments, and come out and offer his burnt offering, and the burnt offering of the people, and make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And it shall be a statute to you forever, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. It's a marathon, but this is God's word. He has spoken to us today in love. We can trust him. Let's pray. Our Father, our God, you have created us to draw near to you, to come into your presence in full assurance of faith because of Jesus' loving sacrifice for us. And so I pray as we do that today to draw near to you, you would work on our wandering, uh, our skeptical, our our doubt-filled hearts so that as we believe, people might see Christ in us and with us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I know we jumped from the the end of Exodus, the beginning there. Uh, We skipped over the chapters on all the different offerings, uh, the consecration of the priests, and all the, you got a taste of all the nitty-gritty details as we read Leviticus 16. I mean, Leviticus has that kind of uh, reputation that if you, 
you want to look for, for people who are making fun of the Bible, so to speak, uh, you'll find it, right? That this is my year of living biblically. And then, and then they get really weird as they try and live out every nitty-gritty detail according to Leviticus. And, and then their point is trying to invalidate the Old Testament as not being irrelevant to modern life today. Uh, but everything we just read does take us to Jesus and has immense relevance for how you live your life, uh, understanding the gospel. And it does take some work because, because we're trying to connect ancient religious rituals, uh, this Day of Atonement, to the gospel, to us. And so we're going to do that work. Um, but this is, this is really important stuff. I mean, it, in my preparation leading up to studying Leviticus, I mean, I've, I've went to seminary for these things, but I didn't really fully understand how central the, the truths of Leviticus are to even the Old Testament. Um, if you're reading the first five books of the Bible, what's at the very center? Right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus is right there in the middle. Right? And what Leviticus is painting for us is what the gospel purchases for us is fellowship and union with the living God. That if, this is what Leviticus is going to show you, if you follow all these commands, God will walk with his people, he will be their God, that they will be their people. He will be their people. That he will be their God and they will be their people. There, I got it. All right. It's about closeness. It's about drawing near, but it, it's a gradual process as you work through this book. Uh, so, for example, Leviticus 1-2, it start, kicks off that when anyone brings an offering to the Lord, right, it's talking about people drawing near to bring a sacrifice or an offering to God at the tabernacle. And there's, there's a Hebrew overlap in the word that, that, that the word for offering is based on the word for drawing near. So you're bringing your sacrifice for the purpose of drawing near to God. Right? And so that's, that's what this whole book is about, is how can sinful, selfish right, humans, people like us, live in the presence of God? Or a more accurate question, how has God graciously provided so that his people can dwell and draw near to him? Right? He's the, it's his idea. These are his commands. Right? And so it is going to be strange because our modern spirituality says we should be able to approach God on our terms. And there are so many meticulous details saying it's not safe to draw near to God unless you come near to him on his terms. Right? And the way to approach God, you heard it, is through atonement. Right? It's through atonement. Any other way other than atonement, it's not safe for human beings to dwell in the presence of this holy God of the Bible. Right? And so it's good, as we go through this, to, to think of that great quote by C.S. Lewis in, in Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. Right? Think about the Jesus figure. Um, Right? Is Aslan, the lion, the Jesus figure, is he safe? No, he's not safe. He's a lion, right? But he's good. And we're going to see those two realities here this morning because he desires to dwell with his people. Um, just one more quick note. I, I included a picture for you so you can see. This is what Bible nerds do. They, they draw pictures. 
<laughs> uh, but it's, it's trying to show you that right at the center of this great story in the Old Testament and the Pentateuch is the book of Leviticus on Mount Sinai, right? And at the top of Mount Sinai, at the very height of Israel's religious experiment, uh, experience, is the Day of Atonement. Right? It's drawing near to God. So we're going to meditate on that. This is, this is the center. Right? The center of the first five books of Leviticus, the center of Leviticus is the Day of Atonement, and the very center of the Day of Atonement is when the priest uh, spreads the blood and makes atonement for the people. So there's some really cool artistry there. All right, let's dive in. What does this teach us? First, to draw near to God, you need an obedient priest. We need an obedient priest. And that's how chapter 16 begins, right? It's same day, the Lord speaks to Moses after the death of Aaron's sons. Nadab and Abihu are their names. And it's when they drew near before the Lord and died. It's a pretty ominous way to start. Uh, yay, we get to draw close to God. Um, and so you go, well, what happened to these guys? Why did they die? I thought the whole point was to draw near to God. Well, Nadab and Abihu are Aaron's sons. They're priests. They're, they're in training. They've been or, uh, ordained, installed, consecrated for the role. Um, and you've got to remember, right, priests, their job is to bring God's people into God's presence. They, they represent the people. Well, in Leviticus 10, you can read about this, that, that Nadab and Abihu were drinking, most likely, probably drunk, and they went into the tabernacle all the way in, most likely beyond the curtain where they shouldn't have been, into the most holy place, bringing their own offering, worshiping however they want. They brought their own incense, and it says they offered unauthorized, unwelcome fire before the Lord. And it specifically says they did that which the Lord did not command them. And fire came out and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Right? Is God safe? No, he's not safe, but he's good. Right? And you go, how is God that dangerous. I don't think of him like that in my everyday experience. Right? And what Nadab and Abihu show us, I mean, they, they made two fatal flaws apart from being drunk. <laughs> right? uh, here's their assumption. This is a very human assumption that I can, they could approach God however and whenever they wanted. Right? This is a really important point in the Day of Atonement. Because just imagine you've, you've offended someone deeply uh, to the point where the relationship is broken and you've been told you're not welcome here. Right? You can hear echoes of Eden. And then you assume, well, I know they're mad at me, but I can just show up whenever and however I want. Right? So, so this person you've offended comes home from work and you, right, you use their spare key that they hid in their rock garden and you're just chilling on their couch drinking their beer, watching their Netflix, right? How's that going to end? <laughs> Not well, right? Because the only way back into relationship that has been broken depends on the one who's been offended, on the one who was hurt, who says, here's how you may come back into my life. And that's just a small hint, uh, a small taste of 
of the weight of what Nadab and Abihu did as they marched into the presence of the living God as selfish humans and walked into the presence and said, I belong to be here in the presence of the consuming fire who is good but not safe. Because they, they, they made a fatal assumption that I can do whatever I want whenever I want. And second, they didn't take God's commands seriously. It specifically says they did as the Lord did not command them. Right? And if you notice as you read through Leviticus, especially what our passage last week, it, it got re- repetitive. Right? When Moses was constructing the tabernacle, seven times it says, and Moses did as the Lord commanded, and Moses did just as the Lord commanded, and Moses did just as the Lord commanded. It keeps going and going and going. Seven times highlighting Moses' obedience. And our chapter ended with Aaron saying, Aaron did just as the Lord commanded Moses. And so the chapter begins in our text um, saying we need someone who will obey, we need a priest specifically who will obey the Lord's commands to make room for God's people to draw, draw near. Right? There is a way to draw near, but it's, it's only according to the way God says is safe. Right? And that's, that's the introduction to the chapter, that we need an obedient priest to represent us. The problem with that is every priest is just like you and me. Right? Notice in verse 3, uh, it talks about the way to draw near. What is the thing Aaron's told to do? He needs to wash Right, he needs to purify himself, and then he also has to get a bull to kill and sacrifice for his sin and the sin of his family, all those he lives with. Right? Together, we, we, we infect one another. <laughs> um, right? One of the things this passage is showing us, we need an obedient priest to take us into God's presence. But there's this glaring hole. Who is that going to be? And so there is provision through the death of these animals to get as close as possible. To get as close as possible. You need someone like Aaron, but better, uh, to obey. So we need a priest. So remember that, that the obedient priest in order to be in God's presence. And then second, we can see how God makes room for people to draw near through all these sacrifices. We need sin to be dealt with. And that's all the excitement here surrounding the goats, right? Because Aaron, his job was to cast lots, right? Cast dice. He could take out two goats from the congregation of Israel. One goat was to be used for a sin offering to die, to spread its blood on the mercy seat. The other goat would be used to, to, to take sin away. That, that, we'll talk about that picture in a moment. Right? But, but what the goats are showing us is um, sin has to be dealt with. That's the big problem. Sin has to be atoned for. It has to be covered up. It has to be cleansed, removed. Right? Because when we talk about human beings east of Eden, we have come with guilt, we come with shame, we come with uncleanness. We're surrounded by selfishness and death. Right? And so if you watch what happens. Right, verse 11, it starts with Aaron, right? He's got to purify himself, and so that's what he does. He takes the bull 
For him to go into the presence, he has to light incense, so he walks into the most dangerous place, into God's presence, uh, surrounded by a cloud, uh, protected by the blood, right? He's like a cloud that's a shield, keeping him safe. And then he would take the blood for himself, sprinkle it on the east of the mercy seat, uh, on the front, sprinkling it seven times. That number seven is complete, right? He's making complete atonement as it ends, right, for all their sins. And so what picture you have here is Aaron, the priest, um, undoing for a brief moment or getting a small experience of what it would be like to go back into the Garden of Eden, into God's presence. But now it's no longer safe. Right? Because it seems strange to say, why specifically put it on the east of the mercy seat? Right? And what it is, is this bright, I would call it uh, bright blue glowing hyperlink, remembering what happened at Eden. Like, click here, go back to Genesis 3, when God kicked his people out of Eden and sent them east. Right? And so when Aaron and the priests after them would come and put the blood on the east of the mercy seat, it was like one day they were allowed past the flaming sword of the angels and to just get a taste, to draw near to God, protected by the blood that's making atonement for them. That's the only way in. That without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. There's no fellowship with the living God. Right? And Aaron's got to do that for himself, and then he has to do it for the people. So it's good to pause there, right? Look at how, <laughs> how honest Leviticus is about their religious leaders. You can draw a straight line to your, your leaders here. <laughs> right? they, Aaron has to make atonement for himself and for his household. Right? Pastors are flawed individuals too. There's a reason when on Sunday mornings we, we pray these confessions of sin together. Yet the leader says things, but it also says, hey, everybody's going to pray this next part, that I too... <laughs> I'm a sinner. I too need atonement. I need my sin covered. Right? Just let that shape your expectations of religious leaders. We're, we're human. Right? And so, after that, Aaron would make, make atonement for himself, and then he would take the first goat, kill it, and take the blood, and he would do for the people with this goat what he did for himself, which was sprinkle the blood on the east of the mercy seat seven times, and it's a, it's a picture, again, of God's people coming into God's presence, but only through the shedding of blood, right? And it makes you ask those questions. Why in the world can't human beings just draw near? Why is it so unsafe? And Psalm 15 asks that question, right? Oh, Lord, who can sojourn in your tent, in your tabernacle? Who can... Who can dwell in your holy hill? Who can, it's a question of saying, who can draw near and live in your presence? And just, I'm going to run through the list and see how you measure up. He who walks blamelessly. Right? Well, that just knocked down 100% of the human bowling pins. Right? He who does what is right, speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor. 
nor takes up a reproach against his friend, which is another way of saying you don't harm and hurt those who you are closest to. Think family members, friends. In whose whose eyes a vile person is despised. Uh, It's saying that not only are you for the good, but you're opposed to what is evil. You honor those who fear the Lord. You're you're loyal to your fellow brothers and sisters in, in, in the Lord. You're kind of the person who swears to their own hurt and doesn't change. I'm going to keep my word even if it hurts me. Who does not put out money at interest. Right? You're, not, you're not greedy. You're not taking a bribe against the innocent. You're not corrupting. You're a just person. The person who does those things shall never be moved. You can dwell in the presence of the Lord. Only one person is ever able to answer that and say, that's me. That's Jesus Christ. And so what, one of the, the message of the day of the atonement, the day of drawing near, is a day to see clearly that human beings, ourselves, you've got to make this personal, we're alienated and we need our sin covered to be safe in God's presence. And so that's the first goat. It dies in the place of the people to cover their sin. That's what it says in verse 16. Uh, It makes atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel, because of their transgressions and all their sins. So not only do the people need cleansed, but everything they've touched and been near. I mean, even, even the place of worship has been corrupted or defiled just by being near the people. Atonement needs made here on earth. Right, so what is atonement? Right, it's a religious word we use. Uh, atonement at its most basic uh, is literally to cover up, uh, to, to hide sin. Uh, it includes forgiveness. It includes removing your guilt. Uh, it includes being cleansed. But it's this process of having your sin covered up so that you can be at one mint, if you will, uh, with the living God. It's bringing together, through the sacrifice, those who have been separated or alienated. Right? That's what the priest must do. He makes atonement because of the uncleanness of the people. Right? So do you feel your uncleanness when you draw near? Um, I know folks outside church do. So why would I want to go to church to be with those people who are holier than thou? Right? They're, they're feeling their uncleanness as we, and not seeing that we need atonement. Right? There's two sides to that. Right? You know, Counselor Ed Welch uh, says, if you are unclean, you can feel that there's something wrong with you. You feel like you don't fit in. You aren't like other people. You aren't normal. You stick out and you're kicked out. Right? To be unclean is to be not welcome. But to be clean is to be accepted. Say, you can come in. Right? And one of the interesting things about Leviticus is you read it, you're going to find that it is impossible to be human and to stay clean. Everybody in Israel would find themselves either morally unclean because of the failures that they committed, uh, not living up to Psalm 15, 
or just, just by virtue of being human, of being around death. I mean, imagine burying a loved one, right? That stage comes and you have to honor your parents and you, you lay them into the ground and all those ceremonies, but because you've been close to death, you're now unclean and unable to draw near to the Lord. Um, or maybe you find yourself with a skin disease, right? You, didn't, you weren't doing anything, but now you're on the outside looking in. It was impossible to avoid being unclean. You can read Leviticus 15 and all its uncomfortable detail about with equal uh, specificity, men and women, through bodily fluids, find themselves unclean. Right. It culminates in the scriptures with Isaiah saying in 64, chapter 64, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous garments are like a polluted garment. Uh, specifically, the garment women would use during their time of uncleanness once a month. Saying, this is unclean, you can't draw near. I mean, don't, don't you feel that reality when you think about sin? The way our shame sticks to us like dust, sticks to sweaty skin on a summer afternoon, and you long for a shower, to be cleansed. And so that's what the Day of Atonement is doing for us. God is saying uh, to Israel, you are unclean, but he is graciously making provision so that they can draw near, to, that they may be cleansed, that their sin may be covered, that atonement may happen once a year. Right? And so not only does it have to be covered, and that's the second goat, sin has to be removed. That's the, the scapegoat here, right? Because in verse 21, Aaron would pray all the sins, transgressions, and iniquities of the people, and he would lay them symbolically on this goat, and this goat would get the, the holy boot kicked out of camp and sent out into the wilderness, and they would have this visual picture of their sins being removed from them as far as the east is from the west, which is exactly how we treat things that are unclean. Get out of my house. Send it away. And this goat would be sent out to Azazel. And that is about as clear as I can make it. <laughs> Nobody knows exactly. There's a little footnote in, in the ESV that says, we don't know what this means for certain. It's either a place. It's either some kind of spiritual being, because uh, it's contrasted with the name of the Lord. Or it can simply just mean this is a scapegoat. But you get the same picture, right? Regardless of what it means, it's sin being removed, being put outside the camp. Sin cannot stay here. Um, and if that wasn't clear enough, right, about this goat being sent away into the wilderness, uh, after it were that, Aaron would take the body of the bull, the corpse of the goat that was killed, and then that would be taken outside the camp to be burned. Uh, sin is not welcome here. Right? And isn't that what you want? Think of that thing that would ruin your reputation, that makes you feel unclean, ashamed, and to know that it can be removed as far as the east is from the west. I mean, this is a, it's Old Testament language, but it's a powerful picture of God's grace making provision to cover their shame. To say that, that thing no longer needs to haunt you. Right. Except, 
this is a statute, and now Israel has to do this every year. Right? This is immensely gracious. It's God's command, making provision so they can draw near. But do you see the problem this causes? Right? Once a year, yeah, pay all their sins are covered. But then you got a whole other year of sin. And then you got to do the whole thing again next year. And that's not counting all the other sacrifices that have happened in the last year. The first seven chapters of Leviticus. Right? It's like, it's like you're trying to keep track, right? I mean, just imagine you have a little ledger and say, I've got my list and I've broken this one and this one and this one. And so I've killed this many goats and lambs and pigeons, depending how rich you are. And then I know there's stuff I haven't seen, so I'm going to kill that, that, that pigeon. And then once a year, it's still not enough, so I've got to go through this ritual again, watching every year a goat disappear into the wilderness with our sin, saying, is, God, is this enough? Because sin is like laundry. No matter how hard you try, there's always more dirty clothes to clean. Another day is coming. And that's where Leviticus leads us to Jesus in the Day of Atonement, because you need a priest and you also need a better sacrifice. Right? We need a priest who will obey God's commands, who's able to enter God's presence safely. Um, it wasn't any of the Levites. That's the, the Old Testament is constantly trashing the Levites, uh, saying, hey, they never lived up to the call. Now, what you see is sin needs to be dealt with, covered, to, to be done. Right? And so turn with me to Hebrews 9. Hebrews is great at connecting the dots from the old and the new, and this is how we'll end and it will lead us to, to communion. Chapter 9, verse 11 to 14. All right, the writer to the Hebrews says that when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. Right? So here's our, here's our obedient priest. And he came, not through the, he came through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. So right, he's divine. And he entered once for all into the holy places, but not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? It's dense, but you can, you can pick up the big ideas here. Right? Christ, our obedient, perfect high priest, entered one time, once for all of Christ's people. And by means of his blood, because he's worthy, he goes into the, the heavenly places, which is reflected in the tabernacle, right? And th that one time when he went in, what did he accomplish for God's people once for all time? An eternal redemption. It's like the day of atonement, never to be repeated again. Uh, it's a permanent atonement, sin forever covered. I mean, that's what it says. If the blood and goats and bulls do this great stuff once a year, it was effective for them. They, they saw the gospel. They experienced God's grace. 
how much more now will the blood of Christ, who offered himself without blemish, now purify your conscience so that you're set free from dead works to sit, serve the living God? All right. And his point is, look, a dead goat doesn't get into your head and change the way you think. It doesn't change your heart. It doesn't change your conscience. It doesn't change the way you relate to your past very well-known moral failures, much less those you don't know about. But Jesus' perfect offering as the perfect priest and the perfect sacrifice uh, by the power of the Spirit changes the way you think. It changes how you relate to the living God. Because once for all, and it is finished. And he did that through his death on the cross. Uh, as, As Hebrews 9 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That was the whole point of all that that bloody mess in Leviticus. To prepare for that moment when God sent the perfect offering in Christ Jesus. I mean, the cross was the day of ultimate atonement. Except for Jesus, it wasn't a day of drawing near. It was a day of being treated like the scapegoat. You know, the the blameless one wasn't welcomed into God's presence on the cross as he bore our sin. Where does he die? Outside the city. Treated like the bodies of the sacrifice to be burned on the trash heap. Treated like one who is unclean. And he did that so that we, the unclean, can be made permanently clean, holy, able to live in God's presence. He can draw near to us. This is God's idea. (laughs) Right? This is his provision. This is the way to draw near to God through Christ. I mean, Hebrews 9 is beautiful and dense and and helpful because it keeps going and says, look, Christ has entered not into this earthly tabernacle that, that was set up in Leviticus, but they are copies of true things. And he now appears in the presence of God on our behalf. Right? And he didn't do that to, to, to do that, offer himself repeatedly like the high priest would every year. Right? No, if that was true, he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. That's not what Jesus came to do. As it is, he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. One sacrifice for all time. That's, that's the, been the Protestant argument for the last 400 years against the Roman Catholic view of communion. Uh, the official teaching of the Roman Catholic Church is that Christ has to be sacrificed again and again each time you gather for the Mass, as if he's suffering death again, mystically. This, is, this meal that we're going to come to is pointing to that once for all time, end time sacrifice to remove sin, to cover the day of atonement so that your sin is covered. God no longer treats you based on what you've done. Uh, and it's removed from you as far as the east is from the west. Right, so as we get ready to come, I know we need to hear this again because we walk around every day carrying different forms of guilt and shame feeling unclean. And this is telling us a different story, that in Christ you have been made clean 
and it's an eternal redemption that cannot be undone if you are in Christ. Right? So come and look at the ultimate day of atonement in Christ. It's finished. And here's one more interesting point. Uh, you know how this affects our mission? If you take Leviticus seriously and, and Hebrews seriously and Jesus seriously, uh, that the earliest Christians, you know what they were called? They were followers of the way. They were called the way. And so, just as there was no other way to draw near to God except through the Day of Atonement and all these sacrifices, there was one prescribed way to, to enjoy God's presence, to draw near. Christians, for the last 2,000 years of saying the only way you ever get into God's presence uh, is through Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Because he's the one who makes atonement for you to cover your sins, to make God safe, so that you can experience all of his goodness this God who promises to do even more goodness than you can imagine. Right? So do you believe that? <laughs> See, if you believe that, that shapes the way you talk about Jesus. That this is the only way to draw near. But it's with great joy. Right? William Cooper wrote a hymn. Uh, he's a 16th, 17th century hymn writer. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but he... He struggled immensely with mental health, feeling unclean. And he wrote a, a hymn in our hymn book called There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. And he, he writes, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel, that's God with us, his veins, and sinners plunged beneath the flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there may I, though vile as he, Wash all my sins away. So that's what Christ accomplished. Rest in him. Let's pray. Our Father and God, as we come now to uh, eat and drink with you, to experience fellowship uh, with, with Christ our King and with you our Father and with the Spirit who is at work purifying our conscience, I pray you would do all those things. <laughs> uh, that, that you would apply the gospel to our hearts, uh, that we would rejoice that you are with us, and we will be known as followers of the way, followers of this Christ who made way for us. It. May we taste your grace today in Jesus' name. Amen.